Welcome to PostWave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're going to be talking about some new research into spontaneous fluctuations in the brain and kind of the underlying background activity that's going on in our brains at all times and what that might have to do with intelligence and consciousness and trying to create artificial intelligence. who like to talk about a bunch of topics that are sometimes slightly beyond our wheelhouse. If we say anything that's factually incorrect, or even if you just disagree with us, we really love if you send us an email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know. So so Trevor, um, do you remember back in composition seminar, we had a discussion one time and we talked about Einstein and how Einstein was a musician. I didn't even remember that Einstein was a musician, but... Uh, yeah, he played the violin, and he would talk about how his creative process, what, what he'd do when he's thinking is he'd, he'd play music, and it would send him into this kind of altered state of consciousness where his waking brain is not in control, and it would, I got the impression it was kind of like he's floating in this sea of creativity and spontaneous expression and then out of that his ideas would emerge mm. you you said when he was when he was playing music or listening to music he felt like that i think when he was playing music yeah that's that's really interesting yeah i, I don't think we give enough credit to how how unique of a state playing music produces how, how mm. unique of a mental state because i i i mean the dance and acting are probably close to it just because they're they're similarly real time Mm -hmm. but yeah i think i think any kind of performing performing art probably Mm -hmm. probably has that same quality of of changing how your how your how your brain is working and, and kind of freeing your your mind up to to kind of get out of you know old old pathways and and come up with new new things yeah, totally. Um, and I think we can maybe expand that even to just all of the creative processes, maybe more like that freeform exploration rather than intentionality. Mm-hmm. And I think that le- lends a lot of credence to the ideas in this article. Yeah, yeah. So so let's just, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to this article in, in the description, but we're going to be focusing around this this one article in Salon that came out just a, just a couple of days ago, actually, we're recording this on May second, and this came out on on April thirtieth. Uh, but the headline is: Artificial intelligence research may have hit a dead end. Misfired neurons might be a brain feature, not a bug. And that's something AI research can't take into account. Right. So it kind of starts with like a little bit of a background on ar- artificial intelligence and uh, c- computer history. And going back into Alan Turing, like we talked about in our computer science episodes, um, and the development of in the development of narrow AI, which is, as you know, 
you know, artificial intelligence that's really good at solving very particular tasks, but is useless outside of those tasks. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know if the techniques we're using to develop narrow AI will, at some point, when they get powerful enough, turn into general AI if we just kind of stick them all together. My my, mm. my intuition is no, and I think that's most people's intuition. Yeah, and I think that's the major thrust of this article here. And it makes a really fascinating case about how uh, the mechanics of uh, a different approach might actually reflect the way our human brains work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is something I'd, I'd been thinking about for a long time already. That we, so I so people are probably familiar at this point with the idea of a neural network or have at least heard of it. And I mean, th- th- this idea has been around since you know the middle of the twentieth century, and it's it's I think because of the name, people people just assume that it's it's modeling very closely what what neurons in the brain do. But it's, I mean, neur- neurons are, are way more complicated than than the the nodes in a in a neural network. And basically, basically, a neural network is is taking there are like a bunch of different layers of of nodes, which are basically just points that perform some kind of mathematical operation on incoming data. And usually, it's a, va- a value between like zero and one, like a floating point value, and then output. Mm-hmm. So they take in one floating point value perform some operation on it and then output some other floating point value. And if you Mm. put a bunch of these together in different configurations with, you know, several, um, several layers of, of, you know, a bunch of different neurons, there could be different numbers of neurons in each layer. You get this kind of emergent property that the, the network can, can learn how to perform a certain output. If you if you if you tell it what the input should be and tell or tell it what the outsh- output should be given a certain input, then it'll be able to kind of change, basically change change the equations in each in each node of the network to to be able to produce the the correct output. Yeah, totally. And so this article goes on to talk about how our brains actually act in uh, a similar way, and that so that's computer brain metaphor does in some ways make sense as, as they say um, because our neurons uh, fire at, or do not fire right there's like a boolean but but what determines whether or not they fire is some threshold and that threshold corresponds to your floating point value for, for people who are not familiar with that term that just means like a decimal like a decimal between zero and one and so, like, let's say your threshold is 0.7396. And then if the input value is greater than that, then it will fire. And if it's less than that, then it won't fire. Right, right. But uh, it goes on to say that there are some things about the the brain that do not necessarily work the same way and that it boils down in large part into neuroplasticity which and this was really fascinating because I've never heard it described in these terms particularly before but they talk about how neuroplasticity is the ability for neurons to change their uh their threshold and and their purpose Hmm. that's interesting yeah yeah I didn't know that about the the threshold either 
I, and I think the, the other thing they said is that, that neurons aren't, you know, they aren't either a zero or the one or a one that can be, be in between. Right. Yeah. So, so to quote the article, it says computers also do not have equivalents of chemicals called neuromodulators that flow between neurons and alter their firing activity, efficiency, and connectivity. These brain chemicals allow neurons to affect one another without firing. This violates the binary logic of either or and means that most brain activity occurs between an activated and non-activated state. Yeah, so this gets to what I was talking about with actual neurons being way more complicated than than the neurons in neural networks because like you said there are all these different mm. chemicals at play and and basically each neuron is is like a little computer in itself almost like a little processor in and of itself because mm. of course it has it has dna and and it's it has a lot of machinery and and they've actually found recently that neurons can ch- change their own dna which is crazy wow yeah and that, <laughs> that, that must have something to do with how how the brain works Mm, definitely definitely yeah. i mean that pro- maybe with the the neuroplasticity mm. stuff and that definitely correlates to ideas i've heard in the past about how your experience over life changes your dna and maybe it's more fair to say that you change your own dna as you evolve to fit life better yeah i, I that's that's probably what they mean i mean you're the it, unless you're getting, you know, genetically modified on purpose or being exposed to a bunch of radiation, then you're, you're kind of the one <laughs> doing the modifying, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's fascinating. Yeah. And kind of goes in contradiction to the general narrative of how we in the West have thought about like our own systems, our own brains, our our own genetics. Like, you know, it's kind of genetics is like a byword for like, it's not within your control. It's just the way you are and there's nothing you can do about it. I I don't know about, well, it depends what you're talking about, which, which. Well, yeah, in in certain contexts. So now in the article, it gets into some of the really interesting stuff. Uh, So it starts to talk about spontaneous fluctuations yeah, so so most people have probably heard of the idea that most of what the brain is doing is is background activity, right? That the conscious part of your brain yeah. is not is not by any means the majority. I think mm-hmm. they say five percent is conscious. That's what they say in this yeah. article. So a spontaneous fluctuation. So what is that referring to? So essentially mysterious forms of forms of brain activity that don't seem to have a clear goal or purpose or anything like that right interesting so where where do these spontaneous fluctuations come from there are some uh, ideas put forward in this article uh, represented by research done over decades including that so one idea is that they may be related to internal neural mechanics heart and stomach activity and tiny movements in response to the world right so so it's it's possible and and probable that they do map onto something real it's just it's it's so complicated and subtle that we can't tease apart yet what's actually going on totally totally i mean it has to be something real right (laughs) we're talking about real life here (laughs) yeah i mean well i isn't that kind of isn't that kind of the idea that that it might just be kind of spontaneous and that's and that's what's 
helping mm-hmm. create consciousness or intelligence or, or creativity or anything like that that it's well yeah yeah totally but um what what he goes on to say is other experiments by david mccormick at yale university school of medicine this is quoting from the article again and christoph Koch at Caltech in 2011 have demonstrated that neuronal firing creates electromagnetic fields strong enough to affect and perturb how neighboring neurons fire. Right. So even if it's not directly, even if a neuron is not directly firing to activate another neuron, it can still affect neurons around it that it's not connected to. Is that basically what's, what that's saying? Totally. Yeah. Just like through proximity, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. But, but so, so the reason they bring up this point though is that when we are talking about such a small scale thing as these neurons firing, uh, it says, since electrochemical thresholds activate neurons, a single proton could in principle be the difference that causes a neuron to fire. And this is really significant because we know about a phenomenon in quantum physics called quantum tunneling, which is uh, essentially where a particle pops in and out of our existence. Right, right. So this this gets into the idea that's, I think I think still fairly controversial at this point that the quantum mechanics might have something to do with with consciousness and intelligence. Mm-hmm. And and I, yeah, it, it, why do you think this is controversial though? I mean, it's it's definitely groundbreaking and uh, contradicts a lot of modern assumptions. Yeah, I think I think it's controversial because it, since basically the beginning of quantum mechanics, the New Age community kind of latched onto it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this this must explain consciousness or or free will or like the spirit or or mm. something, which I, I don't think is totally. I mean, it's it's possible that, that I think it's totally possible that that stuff has you know that they're related. Um, but I think because it has that history and because I think people in general kind of misunderstand quantum mechanics a lot. I think people are are tentative about about claiming that quantum mechanics has anything to do with with how how the brain works and also also i mean this is uh this is something i've heard sean carroll say i think like the the brain we, we can explain most of what almost all of what the brain does in terms of of f- physics and chemistry that we know hmm. fa- fairly 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 deeply we, we know fairly well how it works how it works and we don't need to invoke quantum mechanics but but that is you know that is that is one of the big underlying questions in physics is how does how does quantum mechanics give rise to the the world that we see around us because it there Mm. especially with with gravity and general relativity and stuff there seems to be a a huge disconnect between between these small scales and the 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 larger scales we can observe totally and so maybe that's what's so groundbreaking about this article is that it's drawing that connection that if you accept the research by David McCormick and Christoph Koch, then it kind of draws a, a very clear path how these quantum fluctuations could actually affect the uh, spontaneous fluctuations that make up the major part of our brain activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think they also mentioned that the the brain isn't isn't trying to get to one solution in the way a lot of yes. a lot of neural networks are they're they're trying to kind of expound on a bunch of different possibilities at once and 
and that, that is kind of what you would expect. I mean, it's it's like it's the whole kind of chaos theory butterfly effect thing, right? Where where one little change kind of propagates because it, it makes one neuron do one slightly different thing, and then that neuron affects a bunch of other neurons, and they do slightly different mm. things, you know, and it and it it creates this this kind of seemingly spontaneous random kind of behavior. Totally. Yeah. So like going back to our historical approaches to artificial intelligence, there's the prominent example of, you know, like deep blue and then later on like alpha go. So deep blue is like the first big, really good AI that could beat people at chess and would actually outperform the, leading world champion more often than not and since then you know it's it's developed even further and expanded uh it definitely hasn't expanded but that because it's a narrow intelligence but we've built off of what we learned enable to enable us to create different uh narrow intelligences that solve these really really complex tasks that require like creativity and abstract thought to some extent yeah, yeah, and, and Go Go is one of those games that people said it was impossible for an AI to play for a long for a long time. Like we just didn't know if we could do it because there are so many, so many different possibilities. Mm-hmm. And now it outperforms humans by a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think I I don't think this is true anymore. But I think for a while, at least for chess, the Deep Blue could still be beat by human AI team. But I, that might not be true anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's one of the things that's uh, I think very recently even it was still true that human AI teams will outperform just the AI. Yeah, just kind of fascinating. Yeah, I mean it, it's I guess it's obvious, but the, the human humans still have something that AIs don't have. Yeah, or at least like the yeah the the gaps that the AI is likely to to miss are less likely to be things that humans are going to miss just because we're looking at the situation from a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. But so the point is that these narrow artificial intelligences, as profound and insanely powerful as they are, can't do things like go microwave me a cup of tea or something, (laughs) you know? Right. Or they can't like do uh, like solve like basic math problems necessarily yeah yeah i actually hadn't been thinking about this until until this moment with with uh respect to this article but because i don't think they really mention it but that that kind of thing of course is the whole whole common sense problem in ai which is that it's very hard to teach ai's very basic things like how objects work you know how, how to move and interact with 3d space and how things mm. like occlusion work if if you're you know one object moving in front of another object and how that changes right. the the visual field is very turns out to be very 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 complicated to to get an ai to to understand and it's it's less clear to me how this kind of spontaneous fluctuation thing would solve common sense reasoning because mm. that that is it does seem to be kind very rule and algorithm based but i don't know it's possible it could it could play some role yeah so so going back to this article they talk about how it's kind of remarkable that we haven't or or that uh, 
artificial intelligence researchers haven't attempted to create a physical model of a brain, considering that, you know, all other organ researchers have attempted to create models of, of those. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I don't know if that's totally true. I mean, so we have created, I think, the most advanced organism that we have some kind of model of is a, is a mouse. So there's a site we can link to called Blue Brain Cell Atlas that has a 3D model of a of a mouse's brain. You can kind of zoom around, and and it has a bunch of the neurons mapped. And so it's it's not complete, obviously, <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. not it's not totally functional. I don't know if um yeah I don't really know about the implementation details or anything like that. I don't know if there's any computational stuff going on. But so is is this a physical object or is this just a representation in the digital world? It's just a representation, but you're you're talking about building Mm -hmm. like an actual, actual model of the brain. Yeah. So this was kind of their point in the article that, yeah, we have like, uh, models of neural networks of like mouse brains and stuff like that, but it's not the same as existing physically in the physical world. Because like going back to you're talking about how hard it is to train artificial intelligence in understanding the physical world. Maybe that has a lot to do with that the experience of the artificial intelligence is so devoid and and, and separate from the physical world. And maybe there's something inherent about uh, the physical world where you just kind of have to have the experience personally in order to understand what it's like. Yeah, I'd, I'd ask what you mean by experience because that's kind of a loaded. Concept. Sure. Um, well, well, so so it goes into it. it starts talking about these uh, spontaneous fluctuations um, and and the way that the uh, protons popping in and out of existence affects the firing of neurons based on uh, by by the way they interfere with the electromagnetic fields of the neurons Mm -hmm. and that in the brain this is kind of uh, I mean this makes up the majority of our brain activity whereas in computers we've been very intentionally filtering out that uh, and calling it noise because it interferes with solving the particular task that we're trying to tell it to do right 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 and, and that maybe that uh, spontaneous fluctuation is a, a necessary part of the learning process in order for something to be conscious and present in this world. It needs a corporeal body that, uh, that is built upon this principle. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And, and this is something I think about a lot too. What, what's, what's the likelihood that we cracked how to make thinking machines on our first try you know (laughs) that we came up the first time we we tried to make computers we came up with the the system of zeros and ones that's going to do it Mm -hmm. obviously it's it's super super powerful and and can go a lot further than we've already pushed it but it might be the kind of thing where we're trying to make planes by mimicking how birds fly or something like that where where our approach Mm. seems maybe seems intuitive but is is kind of on the wrong path of course of course in the, in this case kind of tr- trying to model the brain itself seems more like trying to make planes that fly like birds but we mm. you know we, we don't really know yeah i see your point there 
of course, I mean, it's just an analogy. It could be completely, <laughs> completely, uh, completely different, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's not always the case that the, the best way to, to reproduce some behavior from nature is mimicking nature. Mm-hmm. So this article mentions that it's been demonstrated that dreaming is a necessary part in our, uh, the way we understand the world and, uh, how it actually accelerates our learning process. Interesting. Could you say more about that? Yeah, well, it, it's like, it's it's hard to demonstrate like necessarily how or why that is. I don't know if there's research for that, but as far as I understand, and from, I mean, just my own experience, I, I think maybe you all can relate, you know, if you are thinking about a challenging problem and you go to bed and you dream and your, you know, your dream is just like a free form exploration, experiencing different possibilities and playing them out and seeing how they work. And then you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, yeah, that's the solution. Yeah, yeah it, it, kind of, it helps you get unstuck from from ruts that your that your mind is in. Yeah. And how that the major part of that process of of parsing that problem is not the full force ahead logic it out it's take a step back and explore uh play you know it's play it's it's free form yeah yeah and this is this is something that what one of the authors they cited in the study uh, robin i'm gonna forget her last name but she yeah she she's working on some stuff with with psychedelics and how they how they can kind of perform a similar function of of through creation of of more uh more kind of random fluctuations and and entropy in the brain can can help get people unstuck from from situations and problems in the same way you're you're talking about with with dreams wow yeah i definitely believe that (laughs) if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow there's lots of ways you can do that you can go follow us on Facebook or Instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. reasoning do they give for this kind of spontaneous fluctuation causing consciousness Mm. well that's kind of a a loaded question again because like how do we define consciousness we can bash that one out for days and days yeah yeah. (laughs) but so according to according to uh they quote someone named stanislas de heine who says that they believe that AI would require something akin to synchronized spontaneous fluctuations to be conscious. And then it goes on to say that 
John Joe McFadden, a professor at molecular genetics at the University of Surrey, speculates that spontaneous electromagnetic fluctuations might even have been an evolutionary advantage to help closely packed neurons generate and synchronize, synchronize novel adaptive behaviors. I mean, it, it is kind of beautiful that that that's part of what our brain is is doing is creating these these fluctuations that are that are spontaneous and yet they're they're kind of all in harmony with each other mm. at a bunch of different levels yeah it's fascinating you know what it really really makes me think of is i think there's a very strong parallel to be drawn here between resonant bodies in music right so so if you have a if you have a certain pa- pattern of waves it, c- it can produce sympathetic patterns of waves in, in other in other other objects and they can they can start vibrating too that kind of thing uh, yeah, or, or or to take it from another angle, that if you have a physical object in three-dimensional space, that it has a resonant frequency, and so then when noise is applied to that object, it resonates, and certain pitches start to emerge, the fundamental resonant pitch, and then also all the, all the harmonics above that, that uh, synchronized with that fundamental yeah yeah it, go, it goes beyond just the just the the single pitch that's at the that's at the bottom mm, which maybe correlates i I'm, I'm not really sure what they mean by nested spontaneous uh fluctuations do you do you have an idea about what they're talking about i there? don't th- there was an- another article written by the same guy thomas nail and and kind of with uh with kind of a ham-fisted music analogy that didn't but uh i think i think it made it made clear what what the nested simul uh the nested uh fluctuations were were referring to but uh let me see if i can find it okay uh we'll link to this this other article too um our metastable minds are emergent properties of lower frequency fluctuations that can join into nested hierarchies with higher frequency fluctuations Neuroscientists call this process cross-frequency coupling. It works a lot like syncopation music. At the lowest frequencies, the drums lay down a beat. And here's okay, here's where it kind of gets weird. In between these beats, the bass plays a rhythm. And in between the notes of that rhythm, the guitar plays a melody. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's like just playing off the beat a bit. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I guess I see. I, I guess I see what he's talking about with, with the syncopation, but I mean, immediately like the, the bass, the bass is not always in between the beats of the drum. Like usually they're, <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I yeah, I guess I guess I I get what he's he's getting at. Should have he should have specified reggae music. <laughs> but yeah, do you think that maybe his metaphor could be expanded? Because he said he said that uh, that the the nested ones are of higher frequency and so that again makes me think immediately of the harmonic series yeah 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 you're right maybe we should explain what the harmonic series is for for people who i don't know we've we've probably talked about it before but yes yeah, it's, it's good to go yeah. over again it's fascinating yeah. i'm still trying to wrap my head yeah. around it. it is it is uh I think I think there, there's a good Andrew Huang video about it called like the most mind blowing concept in music theory, which I definitely agree with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so basically, basically, if you take a a certain note 
any any note's going to have a certain frequency, right? So it's going to be vibrating at a, a certain number of times per second. And demons can hear all the way down to 20 times per second or, or 20 hertz. That's the, the unit we use. It's just one vibration mm -hmm. per second. So we can hear down to 20. And all the way up to 20. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we can hear all the way down to 20 hertz and all the way up to 20,000 hertz. And so basically, if you, if you take a, a note that's vibrating at 100 hertz and double the frequency to 200 hertz, you get the same note, just an octave higher. So like, mm -hmm. sounds, sounds, most people even, you know, who, who don't play music would, would say those are the same two notes. And mm -hmm. if you keep going, if you multiply it by three, you get another interval above that octave, which is a fifth. So it would sound like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that's that's the harmonic series, and and if you keep if you multiply by four and then by five, uh, basically the pitches just keep getting closer together, and you get mm -hmm. you end up getting if you if you keep going after three, if we're if we're using a hundred as our first note, if you multiply it by four and then by five and by six, so you get four hundred hertz, five hundred hertz, six hundred hertz. You get the the major triad, which is the most common one of the most common chords in, in Western music, right? And then it, it sounds like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that sound. Totally. And then if you go a little bit further, you get all sorts of other derivations that kind of basically approximate to the other usual chords that you see in Western music. Right, right. And ba basically the higher up the harmonic series you go, the more the more dissonant the intervals sound. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, the more they grade against each other. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then you can look at this in another angle, like let's say you have a physical string, like a guitar string, you can pluck the string, and whatever that note is, that's the fundamental, that's the lowest note that is resonating there. But then you can touch your string, uh, touch your finger to the string, dividing that string directly in half. And what that does is it mutes the wave of the string, you know, the, the string is wobbling back and forth and it makes it so it can't wobble through that point that you're touching, but it can wobble around it. And if you touch directly in cutting it in half, what you'll find is that it resonates at double the frequency, right? Mm -hmm. Be because each half of the string can resonate freely between the edge of the string and where your finger is. Length is physically shorter. That means it's a higher frequency that we perceive it's double the frequency and then you can go up and if you move your finger to like dividing the string in third like you're touching a third of the way down the string then you get that next mm -hmm. note up you get that fifth which resonates um and then if you go further up dividing it in quarter you get like two octaves higher and you can keep going up you get that third you're talking about the seventh and all mm -hmm. the all the little dissonant notes Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting question, which part of that is fundamental, because it's not, it's not, you know, it's tempted to say, oh, this is, this is math. This is how vibration works and how the universe works. But really, it's just, it's just the, the way it, a big part of it is also the way our brain is perceiving mm. things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, you know, in the harmonics example, it is objectively true that, you know, if you try to divide the string into, you know, like, I don't know, <laughs> 33 or 31, 30 seconds, mm -hmm. right? Or like a little bit off from half 
or uh, what am I trying to say? I guess it would be like 30, 33 60 fourths of a string. Sure. If you try to do that, if you try to pluck a harmonic there, it's not going to vibrate, right? But if you do it exactly halfway, it's going to vibrate really perfectly and sweetly. Mm. There are there are certain points that that vibrate, uh, you know, that more you can strongly than play others. Harmonics with. Yeah. Although yeah. although it it is definitely true that. Um, yeah, definitely. Certain harmonics come out stronger than others. Usually the lower down in the harmonic series, the stronger it sounds. But it does depend on the on the resonant body. For example, I have a little uh, peanut tin that I turned into a bass by sticking a dowel on it. Um, and so it has a very small resonant chamber compared to the length of the and thickness of the string. And... I found that in that case, the higher up harmonics come out really strong as compared to my classical guitar has these wimbly little nylon strings and a, a larger resonant body. So it, it gets like the low harmonics, like dividing in half and in third pretty well. But if you start to go up, you can get, uh, you know, the harmonics that come out get quieter and quieter and quieter. So that probably, like you're saying, if you did get to like, 31 64ths that you probably wouldn't hear that pitch because it's so darn quiet right but it's it's still kind of technically that it's still yeah. there yeah right? and so maybe this starts to tie back into the idea that in order to have a conscious artificial intelligence it needs a physical body you know that the the computations the electromagnetic activity is akin to the the striking the string it's that that energy being imparted into the resonant body so that the resonant frequencies start to emerge uh, as uh, this spontaneous exploration so yeah it depends it depends a lot on the the container that that the totally but then the like every is, is every in. container vibrates right yeah in some way some 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 more resonant than others for sure all right so to address the elephant in the room what do you think this means for free will <laughs> um well maybe I'll, I'll backtrack or dodge that question a little bit and just say about how i think this relates to consciousness uh, you know like existing like being alive and it seems extremely promising to me because like you were saying to have a narrow intelligence to have basically to be a program that has an input and an output and when your people who run you hit the run button you calculate and then put out an output once the computation is complete that is not ever going to be consciousness you know that's that's always going to be a narrow intelligence, wouldn't you say? I mean, I, sorry, did you say there's like a specific output that it's it's going to produce, or you just hit, you hit well, go, and then there's a there's a there's, there's a goal, right? There's always like, I am serving this purpose. I, the program, exists for this reason to create this sort of output. Right, right, or, or perform perform this task, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that any sort of existence that is on that uh, directional plane, that is, that 
exists for solely a purpose is always going to be a marginal existence and will never reflect uh, general intelligence or consciousness. I think I think maybe I agree with that, but just to play devil's advocate, couldn't you say that humans have a set goal, which is to reproduce and not mm. die? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll grant you that that's definitely a possibility. Um, but then if you think about like how life emerged and like evolved over the eons that why did it happen you know it's like it's not like it was set in motion for for some particular purpose to like create a certain kind of an output it's just spontaneous fluctuations that caused life to coalesce and to breed and become more and more complicated right yeah so any sort of biological drive to reproduce is really just uh freeform exploration in the same way as any random fluctuation is yeah and and don't we think that maybe that's how the universe started is some kind of random fluctuation that created a point of infinite density and and that's where it all came from it's kind of poetic yeah it is and it seems like a uh in a place where uh satisfactory answer is kind of impossible it seems pretty pretty meaningful <laughs> um so so yeah so to answer your question i think that yes to have a marginal narrow intelligence is not conscious is not and, and i would say does not exhibit free will um to have a freeform consciousness of uh mostly random fluctuations where it's all just basically random energy random things happening and over the course of those random things happening over a long period of time and, and over a long breadth, right? You have lots of different neurons firing synchronously. Um, <laughs> and, and that uh, allows you to have uh, frequent occurrences of coalescing of... Uh, neurons of, of, of even outside the brain just random things happening and happening to converge into some sort of an order right because because going back like does does that does that make does am i making any sense a little a little bit because you know like chaos patterns right it's just things happening randomly and uh over time, if enough things happen randomly, then certain patterns start to emerge and those patterns become entrenched for a while. Yeah, I, I think we have to be careful with the word random because true, true randomness is actually very, very hard to to produce. Oh, sure, to, to produce like if you're trying to artificially. Because, I mean, so, so randomness though kind of, depends on your information doesn't it what do you mean by that like what you're privy to like like let's say um you have a die and you roll the die um and it pr produces a random output but then let's say what if you know like the exact mechanics of how you 
twist your hand and how that die is going to fly through physical space, interact with every air particle, and the way it will land so that you can predict which side will land up. That's not random anymore, is it? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, throwing a die or flipping a coin is not, is not, it's not random. Mm. Well, but but it's dependent on what information you have, right? Because it essentially is random if you don't have all that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see your point. But but I think I think that the thing with chaos theory is is that even even systems like the weather that obey relatively simple rules can can behave in in unpredictable ways mm. with a with a long enough time horizon because tiny little fluctuations in in measure in you know the pressure or air you know moisture content of of certain air is Mm. is you know slightly different one way or the other and that that in itself like like you said it's it seems random because we don't have sufficient information but it's it's not actually not actually random totally and so then I think to exist without purpose, without uh, a, an explicit purpose, to just exist for the sake of existing, you know, that, that's the freeform exploration. That's the neurons just firing because they happen to have particles that are popping into ex- and out of existence. That is what I think has to be central to consciousness and what I might refer to as free will. Mm-hmm. And th- this kind of goes back to the, the single proton in influencing whether, whether a neuron's going to fire or not. Mm-hmm. And, may- and so maybe in this model, the only thing that has free will are the individual protons which exist or don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely concede the point that the, the term free will is maybe a bit of a, a red herring. Yeah, yeah. So, so I... I really like this thing that uh, Tom, this philosopher Thomas Metzinger is quoted as saying in, in this ar- other Sloan article. So he, he basically, and this is, you know, something, something I'd heard a little bit before, but he's basically, so, okay, this is what he says exactly. Mind wandering research suggests that we need to get rid of naive black and white distinctions, such as free will versus determinism, conscious versus unconscious. So yeah, those, those terms are, are, maybe not helpful in trying to figure out what we want to figure out and they're they're kind of human created concepts that we're overlaying on the world that that might not even be useful to us in understanding what's actually going on as as interesting as they are to argue over for some yeah. people <laughs> some people some, some people, people who would do something crazy like create a podcast a whole episode about it or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> Who the fuck do they think they are? Some smart asses. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's something. It's something that's that fascinated me for a long time, and I still think it's kind of fascinating to think about. But I, I do think it it it's lost a little bit of its charm for me. Mm. I don't know, just just because. Yeah, kind of, kind of like he, he Metzinger is saying, it it might be a concept that's just not useful to talk about and this is people this is what you know so-called free will skeptics say too is is that it's just kind of an incoherent concept what would what would free will even right. mean if it totally. did exist it, it sort of dissolves when you isolate yourself as an individual or it, it only makes sense when you isolate yourself as an individual but when you recognize that your existence is 
non-distinct and non-separate from the entirety of existence, then the concept of free will sort of dissolves along with that. Right, right. Because you either have to say the whole universe is you or you're, you are... Either your 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 will is the universe's will, or you have no free will, or something nonsensical like every single particle has free will in deciding to exist or not. Which I I, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's that's the interpretation that I like best because it's 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 fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're all about the intellectual rigor here on, on <laughs> no because it because it, it makes you think the most it, it sounds the most ridiculous but um there's i i think there's a kernel of truth to it which which is what i think is fun okay electron number four billion <laughs> in eric's left eye <laughs> stop stop existing right now no <laughs> <laughs> I decide when I want to exist and when I want to leave. I thought I thought it was the particle. Oh yeah, I was I was speaking as the particle. As electron four quadrillion, yes. whatever I said. Yes. Speaking speaking through the mouthpiece of, of Eric, which is this biological structure which is just a technology that electron four quadrillion and whatever developed in order to communicate its desire to exist. Cool. <laughs> cool. I think we, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I uh or at least got to a good wrapping point. one more one more thing kind of kind of along the lines of of research with psychedelics showing that psychedelics can produce increasingly chaotic and, and noisy brain states in the same way that dreams do and that can help break people out of out of ruts that they're in they they have found that a lot of negative mental habits are are in these kind of higher frequencies ended up constraining the lower frequencies mm. so there's kind of like a some kind of causality there going going in the downward uh direction and that through modifying these these higher frequencies you can free up the lower frequencies to produce kind of more unpredictable output and and maybe get you unstuck from from anxious or 
ruminatory ruts. That's really fascinating. And it kind of kind of feels right in my gut, you know, it seems like that that that's a worthwhile metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and that, that it's connected to your, to your default mode network, which is the the part that that can kind of shut down or become much less active active during psychedelic states. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. So, so what you just described like the higher frequencies interacting and and blocking out the lower frequencies, it feels to me directly analogous to that feeling of when you feel ungrounded you know you have like uh, no rest no peace it's just that sense of ideas breeding off of each other endlessly without ever coming to a uh, conclusion and without mm -hmm. being relevant to your goals or intentions yeah yeah and they can kind of just just kind of spiral into a loop that that you know where you can't stop thinking of certain thoughts and mm -hmm. and you can't get outside of the loop uh, i do wonder yeah I, I wonder how mindfulness can can change these these kind of inbuilt patterns of of higher frequencies kind of restricting lower frequencies i wonder yeah i'd be i'd be really curious about how that how that yeah. works <laughs> i just fucking love this conversation because we we have like you, you know you and i both respect like the value of logic and scientific exploration and uh you know rigor of you know honesty and not uh delving into self-delusion and that kind of stuff and then literally we're talking about like you gotta lower your vibrations, man. <laughs> so I guess Death Grips is wrong then. They, they say to raise your vibrations. Yeah, they say you need to vibrate uh, higher. No, that, 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 that's actually funny though, because I have heard uh, raise your vibrations uh, as like a, a common phrase in the New Age Boulder scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always hated that because it's like, okay, do you want me to increase the amplitude or the or the wavelength <laughs> <laughs> or the frequency? <laughs> they were probably talking about frequency. <laughs> I <laughs> well, when I was at at the 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 blues jam on Monday, uh, the first blues jam I, I went to since the the pandemic started basically I, I ended up talking to this dude for a while who who started talking about like my aura and stuff he's like yo you have a good aura it's you know and he he just spent like a really long time trying to de describe mm. it and he's like no it's not it's not quite <laughs> he was like trying to and at one point he's like he said like badass and then at another point he was like yeah i just you know i get like good good feelings or like you're like i, I trust mm. you that kind of stuff <laughs> but he he just spent so long trying to like find the exact right words did you for feel it. like his uh his perception of what he referred to as your aura was on point at all or, or insightful meaningful in any way 
I don't know. <laughs> and as I say that right now, I'm blanking on exactly what he said. Mm. But yeah, I mean, no. it's that that sort of language, that new agey woo woo stuff. I've always been pretty torn about it because, on one hand, I feel like sometimes it can be a valid way to talk about things that we don't really have uh, any sort of framework to talk about uh you know in plain english or with like scientific knowledge and but you know it's it's a a real perception that has bearing on our existence and so this sort of new age language can provide valuable insight at the same time, I feel like it's also very easy to get trapped in the patterns of just repeating the phrases that you've heard other people say in a way that's kind of meaningless. Yeah, you have, you have to kind of recognize that it's all, it might all, all be metaphorical and just useful. The language might just be a useful tool to, to refer to things that are very ephemeral, but you, you have to, you have to keep that in mind and not get not get too invested in them being reality. Yeah, absolutely.